Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Porter, senior pastor here for Faith Community Church, and I just want to welcome you all here, uh, especially today. It is good, good to be together. There's no other place, quite frankly, that I want to be today, uh, right here, right now, than with you all uh, online. Thank you so much for joining with us this morning as well. I just want to start out first and foremost by just talking about how proud I am of you, faith community. One of our values as a church is to be devoted to community. And you have done an amazing job, and I know you will continue to do an amazing job of caring for the princes, the Christophers, and the streams. Thank you so, so much. And I just wanna let you know that we live in an amazing town as well. Aside from my family, two great loves that I have are this church and this city that we live in. And Hudson, the people of Hudson have been amazing. Just amazing. Tim Prince and Darcy want you to know a few things. Larry's already alluded to a few of them. These are quotes. All their needs are being met and they're incredibly grateful. And they feel very, very loved by you all. They know that they're gonna get through this. They didn't know that last week. But with your love and your kindness and your support and your prayers, their confidence in God is being built. Because of this, they are asking of one thing, that you would continue to pray for them. Keep doing what you've been doing because it matters. The praying, the grieving, the lamenting, it matters to them and it's making a difference. Sometimes, sometimes when a national tragedy happens or a worldwide tragedy takes place and Christians take to social media and they say, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Sometimes I see friends and I understand, it's hard to see, but they'll say something like, why don't you do something instead of just praying? What the princes want you to know is that praying is doing something. And God is answering. And God is being so gracious and kind. We're starting a new series today, a series that we actually planned, started to plan out back in late October of last year about talking to God. Talking to God when we are anxious, talking to God when we have done something wrong and we know that we are guilty before God, talking to God when we we don't want to go to where God might be calling us to go. And also, talking to God when we're grieving and angry, even when that anger is at him. How do we do that? And one of the reasons why we wanted to do this series, especially this sermon about talking to God when we're grieving is that I don't grieve well. I just don't. You can talk to my wife. I don't grieve well. I'm an absorber. I'd rather absorb a bunch of pain rather than talk to God about it. 
And the scriptures are teaching me the importance of how to grieve and how to grieve in God's presence in relationship to him. We also wanted to do this series and especially this talk is because we've all experienced a great deal of loss over the last couple years. And one of my intuitions is that some of the fracturing that we've experienced in our country and also in the church is because we haven't grieved a lot of the losses in the last couple years. And it just so happened that as we were planning out this series, God knew that we would need it even more than what we were thinking. Even more than what we were thinking. Grief hurts. It often feels wrong at times, and at times we can feel, it can be, feel so bad to grieve that we, that we shy away from it. Now again, I don't grieve well, and I'm learning how to do that, and I don't want to put this on you, but these are just some things that I've observed as well. As we talk about grieving, or as we talk about our tears, how often do we apologize to one another when we start to cry? This means no shame, and it might even happen tomorrow. I don't know in the funeral for Ben Prince. So often I've heard people say, as they're getting up to talk about a loss in a funeral, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. As if there's something wrong with crying. Faith community, we want to be a people. But we don't ever have to apologize for tears. There's nothing wrong with crying. God is a grieving God. And to be like him means that we will cry tears as well. One of the things we're going to learn today is that, the, that what we talk about regarding a gospel-inspired life, that a gospel-inspired life, or the life that Jesus came to give us, the abundant life that he came to give us, it includes grieving. It includes grieving life's losses as a way to healing that doesn't take the losses away, but it heals the losses. Grieving is, and especially grieving to God and in God's presence is the antidote to grumbling. We'll see a little bit more about that in this psalm. Grumbling, when we grumble, we move away from God and what God is inviting us to is to grieve in his presence to him with one another and that draws us closer to him. In fact, Christians get to be some of the people that grieve the most. Not only because we experience life losses along with everybody else, but we know two things that the rest of the world doesn't fully grasp. That is, when God first made the world, it was never supposed to be this way. And so we long for Eden. But we also have astounding and amazing promises of God that he's going to remake everything and there will be no more death one day. And we know that it is not home yet. So God wants us to grieve. He wants us to learn how to grieve, learn how to talk to him, especially when our losses make us feel angry at him. Faith 
and grieving go together. Anger at God and resolute trust in God can go together. We're going to see that today. We're looking at Psalm 77. It's on page 488 in the Bibles in front of you. And I'm sitting today just because I'm learning along with you how to grieve. Psalm 77, page 488. The psalmist writes, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold open my eyelids. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With you, your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were terrified. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I ordered a case of books this last week, a book called God's Healing for Life's Losses. It's been helpful to me in learning how to grieve and experience God in the midst of life's losses. But Amazon has disappointed, and it's not here today. It's supposed to be here in the next couple days, and we'll have copies next week, and I highly recommend it. God's God's Healing for Life's Losses is the name. 
And in the book, the author talks about not five stages of grief that you might be familiar with. He talks about eight phases that we walk through. And it's not as if we go through one phase and then we graduate and go to another phase. It's that we're spiraling through these phases as we grieve together. Those of you who have experienced significant loss or even just a little bit of loss, you know that in a moment you can, feel, you can be laughing and enjoying company and all of a sudden you start to cry. It's a phase of grief as you're walking through. And Kellerman talks about four C's and four W's as far as, as far as phases that we go through. I just want to list them here for you and they're online. But first is candor. Honesty with myself over the pain that I'm experiencing. Complaint. Honesty with God. What do I think about God right here, right now? What do I feel about God right here and right now in this pain? Crying out. Asking God for help. And in mercy, experiencing comfort doesn't take the loss away, but it's comfort in the midst of the loss, receiving God's help. There's four W's. It's waiting. You're trusting God with faith. It's wailing. You're groaning with hope. Weaving. Perceiving with grace. In the midst of unspeakable loss, you start to perceive God's goodness and God's provisions even in the midst of the difficulty. And lastly, worshiping. You're engaging God with love. I mention those because those are eight phases that we walk through, biblical phases that we walk through as we grieve. And as we go into this psalm, I I want us to see that Not all the phases are represented in this psalm. It's only a psalm of like 20 verses. And we don't know how long it took from the psalmist to move from great disappointment in God to being able to praise God and experience that kind of movement. We don't know how long it took. But we see a couple of the movements. We see the beginning, beginning of grieving, candor, and complaint to God. And then we see him worshiping at the end. And I just don't want you to feel like if you don't walk through those phases in 20 verses, that there's something wrong with you. Grieving takes time. Some tears never go away. The problem. The psalm starts out this way. I cry aloud to God aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Now, this psalm is unique in the whole 150 psalms. It's one of the unique ones because at other times when the when the psalmist or the songwriter is complaining to God, he's complaining to God because of enemies on the outside, Lord, my enemies are seeking to kill me. I need you to move and I need you to work. At other times, the psalms, the problem in the psalm is their own guilt, the person's own guilt. I have done, God, I have sinned against you. I'm calling out to you to forgive me. 
This psalm is unique because the problem to be solved in the psalm is God himself. He didn't answer when the psalmist cried out in his deepest, darkest night. God said no. Now, Hebrew verb tenses are difficult at times to translate and bring in, but the ESV, the version that we're reading of the Bible, the translation that we're reading there, it's trying to put us in the moment of of the psalmist, that he's crying out and his, his arms are outstretched. Like if you've read the story of Moses, when Moses was going into battle and the people of Israel were going to battle and Moses, when he prayed, people would succeed. And when his hands fell down, his arms would, or the, the, the battle would start to go sideways. And so Moses asked people to prop up his hands because he got so tired. This psalmist is, he's so sincere and he is crying out in such powerful ways and from the the very depths of his being that he doesn't need anybody to hold his hands. He's going to hold up his hands without growing tired. For as long as it takes, he'll call out to God. And the ESV translation wants us to feel what it's like to be in that moment. You've been in a moment like that where you're in the midst of desperation. But the NIV captures this part of it that The psalmist isn't so much in this psalm crying out to God as he's talking about when he did cry out to God. NIV translates it this way. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. And at night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. See, he's looking back at when he did cry out and he did everything right. Another psalm, Psalm 18, shows that in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to God for my help from his temple. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry. He helped. His cry reached his ears and he helped me. Not for this psalm. Not for this author. His soul refuses to be comforted. That doesn't mean that he's like belligerent and he's like, oh, God's trying to comfort me and I refuse, God, I'm not gonna be refused. That's not what he's saying here. This is a Hebrew idiom. When, When someone says, my soul refuses to be comforted, it means that they've not had the thing that they're looking for and asking God for that would comfort them. The psalmist doesn't hear, yes, I will help you from God. He hears no. To varying degrees, many of us here have experienced this. We've had prayer vigils where God is so sweet and kind and he, and he answers and he says yes and people with cancer have been healed. And there have been other prayer vigils where we still cry out and we ask God to move and, and work and to heal and he says no. God's not a lottery machine. One of the things I remembered this week is there are times when God will give us answers to our crying out to him that make it seem like he's against us. And a good friend of mine who's been through a lot of pain and walked with God through it all, this reminded me, 
when God gives us answers to our distress and crying out that seem to make it feel like he is against us, he's not against us. He's preparing the way to give us more of himself. To give us more of himself. This leads the psalmist, this lack of response, this no from the Lord puts him in a spot where he starts to complain to God. And that's one of the things that's so important when we're grieving with God is to learn how to complain to him about him in humility and trust and belief. He says in verse, verses three and four, five, it says, when I, when I remember God, because of how he said no to me and he didn't deliver me, when I remember God, I moan. I, when I meditate, which meditation should bring inspiration as you think about God, it actually brings, his spirit is faint. And then he directs his attention to God. You, you God, hold, open my, hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. Consider the days of old, the years long ago. I know what it's like to have you answer me, but you didn't answer me this time. And now what he's saying, honestly, with great candor before God, he's saying, God, when I think of you now, all I can do is moan. And the moan isn't like a groaning, like, ugh, so burdenum. The word here, translated moaning, is roar. When there's a storm in the seas and the seas are in tumult and there's a roar, when a, an animal of prey is trying to guard its food from somebody else coming near and taking its food and it roars, letting you know, don't you come any farther. That's the kind of roar that's going on in the psalmist. He's angry at God. And one of the things we get to wrestle with as followers of Jesus and come to grips with is that God wants us to know by including these psalms in this book of hymns that he invites this kind of complaint. Being angry at God and believing in God, we see in this psalm, are tied intimately together. See, the people of Israel were rebuked by God at times and we're told not to live this way at times. In the New Testament, we're not to be grumblers. There's a difference between grumbling about God out of unbelief and a complaint to God that says, I know who you are and I love you and this doesn't make sense and I'm angry at you because this seems like it never should have been. Kellerman in his book, Kellerman in his book, God's Healing for Life's Losses, talks about how God is our ultimate reality. We can't and shouldn't try to escape facing our grief face to face with God. See, unbelief leads to grumbling and leads us away from God, complaint puts us face to face with the living God who loves us and says no. Complaint 
is the vulnerable frankness about our life to God in which we express our pain and our confusion and our whys about how a good God would permit this to happen to me and to people I love. And God gives us these psalms to let us know that what he wants us to do is come to him, not run away from him, to come to him. He's, he's sparing us from grumbling. He's sparing us from walking away from him. He's, he's inviting us, come, come, come. Tell me what you think of me. The difference between grumbling and our grief is that grumbling drives us not further into the promises of God and his comfort, but farther. Jim Packer is an author that many of us have benefited from. His most famous book is Knowing God, and he wrote a little small book later on called Prayer. And he has a whole chapter in the book of prayer on complaint. And this is what he says. He says, so complaint will be, or at least it should be, a recurring element in the praying of people who are born again. The presence of complaint in the prayer book of God's people, that is the book of Psalms, shows us that complaint, far from being irreverent to God, Prayers of this kind describing the distress of oneself and others in the freest, most forthright, forceful language imaginable, those types of prayers are entirely in order for what it means to be human and be in relationship with a God who loves us. Now, there's two ways in which the Psalms foreshadow Jesus. The Psalms at times foreshadow Jesus in the sense of the author or the speaker is writing and experiencing something that Jesus later on is gonna experience and they're sort of predictive in that way. And this is one of them. The author of this Psalm hears no from God in the midst of his greatest distress. And that's a foreshadow, a predictor of what God's Messiah is going to experience. We need to remember that Jesus heard no from the Father in the midst of his greatest distress. The night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him because he was heavy. And he cried out three times, Father, if there's any way, if there's any way, please take this cup from me. And by cup, he means the suffering that he's about to endure for you and me. If there's any other way to do this, there's any way to, to win these people back, is there any way for there to be forgiveness of sins, is there any way for them to know love, is there any way for the, 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 the warring between us to be repaired, if there's any other way, please. And he heard, no, there's no other way. So Jesus responded, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons Jesus heard no, and we know that Jesus heard no, is so that when you and I hear no from God, even in our greatest distress, 
we can trust that it's not because God doesn't love us, but because he does. Because he was willing to give us his son and not spare him great suffering so that you and I can be brought back in a relationship with him. Now, a change takes place in this psalm. As he's groaning, the psalmist starts to do something else. And so we're to be candid with God and complain to God, but then he shows us two other things to do to walk through the healing process. And again, we don't know how long it took. But along with feeling moaning and anger, he starts to sing songs of worship to God in the middle of the night. Verse six, I said, let me remember my song in the night. And all scholars talk about how this song that he sings in the middle of the night, these are worship songs that he's singing. Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And as he does this, his, his spirit makes a diligent search of his own heart. So there's this dynamic going on that as he is singing and maybe even half-heartedly worshiping, sort of like how we're doing it this morning, it's causing his spirit to really question and ask really hard, good questions that lead him toward healing. I sing of God's unfailing love. I sing of God's compassion. He, he sang songs of how God's anger is but for a moment, but his mercy is for generations to generations. And as he sings, verse seven, he starts to ask these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? The psalmist knows the answer to every one of those questions. The answer is no. And singing reminds him of that. That's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to gather together and sing. We'll sing hymns tomorrow at Ben's funeral. We'll sing, we're singing hymns today. We've got a song that we're gonna end with. Sing a hallelujah. It might feel a little off to sing that. But that's okay. We're singing truth to help our hearts bring together two truths. God will never leave or forsake us. God will never shut up his compassion. God's favor will never be away from us. And if that's true, God, how does this that you're doing to me fit with who you are? Holding those two things together continues to walk us down the process of grieving and talking to God. One of the things that we can do as a church and one of our values as a church is to be generous in spirit and especially generous in spirit when other people show us they're suffering. And when you're with somebody who's really suffering, they're really crying out to God and they're really complaining to God, it can sound blasphemous. We sit and we listen. We let them 
come to a place where they're holding together. I know God is good. And I know that God is for me. And I know that God's compassion will never be shut up against me. And this happened. Their hearts need to bring that together because both are true. And lastly, the psalmist does one other thing. He remembers, he remembers the deeds of the Lord, verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Not just is he gonna sing songs about God's character, he's gonna talk about what God has done because it's reminding him of who God is. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And the the biggest thing that the psalmist could come up with about God's works was the, the act of God in the Old Testament where he delivered the people of Israel out of slavery to Egypt with power and strength and might after hundreds and hundreds of years of the people of God crying out and asking him to deliver. He finally showed up in power. One of the most important things that we can do when we're grieving is remind ourselves of what God has done. One of my favorite places to go when I am grieving and experience loss is to John 11, where Jesus goes to a funeral of his best friend. And we get to see Jesus' heart and his power blended together. There's something that happens in this psalm It moves from complaint to worship. We start to see in verse 13 where the psalmist starts to say, after I recounted your deeds and after I've sung about your character, this is who you are, God. You, you are holy and what God is like you. And there's all these statements in second person. You, 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 you. You, talking back to God, this is who you are, this is what you've done, and this is also who you are, and both those things are true. Somewhere along the line, the psalmist, he never gets answers to why God never, why God didn't answer him. He never gets a reason why. He gets something far more important and far more powerful and far more healing. He gets an encounter with a living God. so he starts to worship. We can know we're starting to move through healing. We're able to hold together, God, you are at one time the same person that keeps me awake at night. You will not let me sleep because of what you've done to me. And God, you are holy and your ways are holy. What other God is as great as you are? and worshiping, saying both those things. The psalm ends, the psalm ends with um, the psalmist saying, God, you in the Old Testament out of Egypt, you led your people like a flock. In other words, you're the shepherd, you're the shepherd and you, you led them through Moses and Aaron and even though you were there, we couldn't see you, your footprints couldn't be seen. Sometimes God, we cannot see you though you're at work all around us. 
And I just want to remind you that God is our shepherd and God does lead us and he's a peculiar and unique kind of shepherd. Like I said, the Psalms not only predict what kind of way that Jesus is going to experience suffering, but they also tell us a little about what Jesus is like as he shepherds. And Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. And the God who is there, the God who loves us, even if we've run away from him and when we do run away from him, he pursues us and he sent his son so that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us so that when we do hear no and when we do experience significant loss, he wants us to know and believe and trust and work it deep into our hearts that even when I say no, it's coming from a heart, from a person who laid out his life for you, for you. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he does. I invite you, if you would, to stand with me and I want to pray for us and for the princes and the Christophers and the streams. Father, we come to you and we, we're looking to make sense of these things. And I know that even in a week with the loss of Ben Prince, there's been other losses this week that are devastating as well. And you know them all. And I ask God that you would bring comfort. God, I ask that you would continue to fill us with your spirit, that we would bear one another's burdens really, really well. There are some burdens that are never intended to be borne alone. And you give us one another, you give us a church. God, thank you for faith community. God, I ask that you would help us to heal and that you would also help us to be generous in spirit and help one another heal and walk with one another as we heal. God, be, be with the Christophers, be with the streams who were there that night as well, be with the princes. Would you please help their memories? Help them to mourn. And as Paul says, help us all to grieve with hope. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us in singing.